Harding. Thank you for listening to Growing Your Successful Business. I'm super happy to have uh, Lyle Cruz with me today, and we'll get to uh, introducing Lyle in just a second. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't be af- afraid to tell a friend or associate about this. This is, um, this is your uh, free podcast to, to learn all things small business. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, um, different successes and, and uh, failures people have had, so we can all learn from that. And uh, if you want to uh, find out more about us, you can go to brianlharding.com or growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com. You can find all of our links on there to Facebook and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. You can also shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com if you have a question for me or if you want to be a guest someday or if you want to just uh, give me some pointers on how to do this better, that's okay too. Uh, so as I mentioned, we have Lyle Cruz today. Uh, Lyle is the owner and managing broker at uh, Aspen Northwest Real Estate and Property Management. You can reach them at aspennw.com and also 253-584-8200. And uh, Lyle, I just learned some stuff here just a few minutes ago talking to Lyle. Um, But before I learned this stuff, I I wrote down some notes here. I called uh, Lyle in my introduction a true student of business. And I mean that in the truest possible uh, sense. Um, Lyle's a guy who really enjoys studying the game film, breaking things down, he talks. He enjoys really. I've just the sense I get is he really enjoys talking all things small business, and he really enjoys the act of learning about improvement. Which is funny as we're talking here a little bit ago. Uh, your your beginnings in this kind of thing is is process improvement as well, much like mine. Right. So we'll, we'll certainly get into some of that. Um, before we do, let's talk about the property management industry. So uh, for folks who are listening who don't know a lot about property management, the kind of property management Lyle's in is mostly single family. Uh, so he he works for people who own rental properties, and then he finds suitable residents and tenants for those properties, and and uh, works with all the the laws that that govern that industry. And your industry is tougher than most for sure, as far as adherence to laws, rapidly changing laws, laws that maybe don't make sense in a lot of cases. Um, so you've got that piece that's probably more difficult than most industries, and. Another thing uh, for your industry specifically that's more difficult than most industries is you're, manage- you're, you're, you're dealing with situations and you're managing situations that are not always super fun and with massive consequences, though, and massive things are on the line. You know, somebody's home is on the line. If, if that doesn't go well, that's way different than somebody didn't get the cheeseburger they wanted or the cheeseburger's cold if you're, if you're running a fast food joint, right? Uh, Want to talk about a little bit th- about that? Talk about um, kind of what what industry you're in, and and give us a quick snapshot, and then we'll get into some other stuff. Well, it's interesting. Recently, uh, I, I I when we were up on the hill, they called it the housing industry, and I thought, yeah, I guess we are in the housing providing industry. So so really, we're in the housing providing industry. Um, we deal with primarily residential, single family, small duplexes, fourplexes, twelveplexes. We we've gone away from the the multifamilies. We didn't found those our our cup of tea. But uh, the big challenge in our industry is that you're in a triangular relationship. Right. So you got the owner over here and the tenant over here, and we're kind of over there in between them, and they don't have anything in common. Right. Uh, neither really cares much about the other's concern, and yet everything is about each other's concern. So sure. they often don't see it the way that uh, we see it, um, given that we do a lot of it, dealt with thousands of properties over the years. And so it's, uh, it's an interesting position to be in. Um, and we've learned a tremendous amount over the years about things to do, not to do, and things to do. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll definitely get into that stuff. Uh, how long have you been in the industry? 
How long so I've been, been in there? the industry com- in, in its entirety, real estate and investment since uh, I was 22. So it's close to 30 years now. I'll be 52 gotcha. in August. So most of my my whole career, essentially, other than my my stint at Boeing. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been in it at one capacity or the other, either as a lender, an investor, in property management or real estate. Basically, my whole adult life. So right. Yeah. And how long have you been with Aspen then? I think uh, about going on the. This is about the ninth year. Yeah. Ninth year. And yeah. Aspen's been around for how long? About nine and a half. Nine and a half. And you've been there for nine. Okay. Pretty much most of it. And yeah. how long have you been the uh, the managing broker? Probably about two and a half, three years, maybe. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, before we get into to, uh, Lyle's stuff here specifically, um, for those of you listening who don't know, when I talk about process improvement, you don't really know what that means. Um, I would recommend for anybody in any industry to do a little bit of research on, uh, was it Edward Deming? Is that his name, first name, Edward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Deming is his name for sure. Um, he's a guy that uh, is basically responsible single-handedly um, for the resurgence of the Japanese automotive market. Um, they were, they were, you know, the Japanese, if you look at, if you think about a, a, a Datsun 510 in 1977, <laughs> uh, that kind of gives you an idea of what the Japanese automotive uh, industry looked like back then. And now they dominate, and they have to, I would think, worldwide for sure, they dominate the, the entire thing, uh, the entire industry. And uh, he was m- kind of sort of laughed out of the U.S. with his crazy ideas. And he went over to Japan and, and talked about quality and process improvement and created what is now the juggernaut that is the Japanese automotive industry. And uh, super fascinating story for sure. I wish they'd make a movie about him someday, but maybe that's too process improvement geeky. I don't know if that would be a wide appeal or not. But um, for a guy to really turn things around for that country who was suffering from all the things from World War II and were, you know, they were all but bankrupt and things like that. And, uh, uh, j- and just his ideas that have now been adopted worldwide by places like Boeing and Amazon and Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and Ford Motor Company and uh, I mean, just y- anybody who's in any kind of giant industry now is has adopted virtually all of his <laughs> all of his ideas, which is uh, pretty funny. But anyhow, so let's get into your stuff. So, what after you've been around nine and a half years? So, what are some of the things that you've encountered that you look back on and you go, "Man, we just we blew it there. I wish I would have handled that differently." Or what are some examples of some stuff like that? Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to geek out first with something you said. So, just to throw some other for geeky types. Look up Dr. Fred L. Taylor. He is actually the uh, one of the originators of most of the management theory um, back late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, he uh, is really the founder of scientific management. So a lot of the principles that came in the 50s, 60s were really born out of principles that came out of the Industrial Revolution. So this is not new stuff, which I right. know, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating what you look at. And they started looking at things like, okay, let's say a guy's building a brick wall. How long does it? How many? How many? How much can he do in a in a, in a work day, which was not eight hours back then? Right. And what's? How do you get more efficiency out of it? So let's say you got a guy who's tall like me, bending down to pick up the bricks from the ground. That's pretty inefficient. So right. they started putting the bricks right here. Sure. Or maybe having a brick guy. Right. Or maybe looking at archi- guys' physical architecture, going maybe he shouldn't be doing bricks at all. Right. And it was very controversial, but uh, it's all part of that flow of. How do we make things better and more productive? And Carnegie, you know, Carnegie Steel mm-hmm. was a big proponent of, he was a big consultant for those guys. Right. And so this, all those things flow back from way a long time ago. So it's nothing new. It right. just becomes new to you when you start looking. You go, oh, my God. 
But in alignment with what? So, and real quick for folks who are maybe glazing over falling asleep because we're, <laughs> we're talking about this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we're geeking out. Why, why is this relevant to you? When I say the word process improvement, you should hear profit maximization. Yeah. <laughs> That's really make more money. Um, it's all about how to become more efficient to make more money and, and or, you know, reduce costs and become more competitive. That's why process improvement is the driver that it is and why it saved the Japanese auto market and, and why I talk about it a lot. And I'm sure Lyle's going to get into some things that are fairly analytical, which is interesting because you're in a people business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that it's <coughs> either one or the other. And you and I talking before we, we started uh, recording here that uh, you got to have both. So uh, anyhow, I'll quit interrupting you. Go ahead, nope, and, go nope. ahead and hit your list there. Well, so things we did wrong. So early on, we made a, you know, and I, I'll call it a, a learning experience. I won't call it a mistake. So we bought a company early on out of bankruptcy. Um, which we thought was free of all its liabilities because that's what it said in the court documents. Right. Um, what we came to find out is that there was uh, a lot of things wrong with that company, obviously, and uh, it, 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 we paid a heavy price for it. Right. Um, and not really know what we were doing. And uh, I think 20 years from now, I'll look back and go, God, it was the greatest thing because of the learning experience. But it was, sure. it was very stressful to take on that burden and the things that went with it and that we thought we weren't going to have to deal with. Um, and then it becomes... When in the industry, you talked about legal issues. So what we found out quickly was the state didn't care about the prior issues. They cared that we had bought it. Right. We became liable for the things that were yeah. neglected there. Li- so liable equals money, by the way. A lot of money. <laughs> and uh, so right away, we found ourselves in a challenging position having to deal with that. And uh, you know, it was very stressful. Um, and again, like you mentioned, you're dealing with other people's property and other people's money. Well, that becomes the... So we became responsible for what was really not handled well by default. Right. And uh, that was my beginning of really beginning to learn the legal aspects of the industry. Um, so the mistake was not fully understanding all the legal aspects of the industry because I'd never been in the in the uh, property management side as a business. I'd only done it for myself. Right. And quickly learned that that's a whole other thing. And you're dealing with federal laws. You're dealing with state laws. You're dealing with the Real Estate Commission um, HUD so there's, there's two things there. there. The first one is vetting the purchase to, f- to see what the liability is, and hopefully there's none, which in if somebody's in bankruptcy, there's probably plenty. Uh, and the second thing is understanding that liability, a.k.a. money that's owed, and what do you do with it? Is that something you're willing to take on? And can you, if you, if you rectify that situation, can you then turn it around to be profitable and those kinds of things? So it's kind of a two-pronged thing. So it sounds like on the, you, you kind of maybe missed the mark on both of them. Well, yeah, <laughs> and you know because we thought free and clear of liabilities meant we didn't have to deal with that. Right. So when you dig deeper into your specific industry, do your research. Yeah. Talk to lawyers before. Right. You make those big decisions, even though people are, and why don't we? Because you don't want to spend. Maybe you're thinking about the cost. So it's kind of like the old Amco commercials: pay me now or pay me later. Right. We should have paid up front to sure. learn that stuff. And, and I'm not saying we wouldn't have done it. But you need to be fully aware, like you mentioned, what's the full cost liability and can, does it pencil out? Right. You know, what's what's the amount of time? And in, in Boeing language, they say, what's the IRR, internal rate of return? How long will it take before we get to break even? Right. And then this decision we made will, 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 will bear fruit and be profitable for us to do. So we did the best analysis. I mean, we're not, you know, we have a pretty strong management group. We did the best analogies, analysis we could. But it's what you don't know that bites you in the behind. Sure. And uh, so that was one of the get, get your legal understanding strong. Make sure you got great attorneys. Right. Pay the money. 
Right. Um, do your due diligence and, yeah. and understand what that due diligence involves. That's a great way to put attorneys, pay me now or pay me later. Uh, so many times folks are reluctant to get attorneys involved because it's expensive. And they're talking, you know, it's like staying with uh, IT folks maybe. Uh, they're talking about things I don't understand and it's really expensive. Well, that's true. And it is very expensive, no question. But the alternative is you can pay four to ten times as much later on to fix oh, it trust me. rather than to prepare for it. Yeah. Yeah, those lessons are we're, we're we're just finalizing up some of the painful lessons from from so that so decision you, eight years you ago. You made the, yeah, so you made the purchase two years in, and now you're nine and a half years in, and and you're you're we're just still, you're we're just coming we're out. We're just of it. starting to recover from it. Yeah, really, that's the yeah. that's the that's ugly truth. So, but acquisitions are going to happen, and they make they make sense in a lot of times, and and they also make sense when there's liability owed. It just it just you got to know what you're getting into, and you got to know what you're supposed to know, not. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know. And our second acquisition went great. You know, we knew the owner. It was a long time dialogue, a couple of years of, of back and forth. Right. It's retiring property manager, and uh, that one went great. You know, we inherited the property manager. It's a it's a Bremerton based company, and and that one went. She's still working with us. Nice. Um. So it was smooth transition. Perfect. And that one went. Bada bing, bada boom. Nice. But, uh, so you know, we learned from the first one, but it was mostly because of how it was compiled. And we were just much smarter about doing it the second sure, time. Sure, sure, sure. What other kind of things have you experienced that, that you would uh, rather step on a, <laughs> a, a box full of Legos before you did it again? Box full of Legos. Um, we, uh, you know, traditionally when I had ran businesses, my other business, it was just me or me and my wife. I didn't have, you know, we have, there's four of us that own, that are part owners of the company. That's a lot of uh, decision makers. Right. Um, you have to really set the foundation for that well in that situation. Um, I appreciate these guys. They have amazing skill sets and they're great people. Um, but it's been a challenge for us to get into alignment and make sure we are all going in the rowing the boat in the same direction. Right. And uh, I appreciate their dedication and their um, who they are as men. That's been and my team is amazing. But uh, yeah, you got to really make sure you flush out who's responsible for what. Right. Who you know who's gonna do which thing and you know what's our zones, what's our lanes. And uh, so we've, we've, we've worked on that, and it's a lot better today. Yeah. So did you did you literally lay out, here's everything that we're going to be doing, the four of us, and I'll take these three, and you take those three, and so-and-so one sees three, and or was it more complicated than that, or did it did it just happen pretty easy? It was just a matter, a matter of verbalizing it? or Well, it didn't happen initially at all because of the way it was put together. Um, it's happened now as a it's, – uh, it's been an evolution. Um, and each of us definitely have a specific skill sets. So they're very, we have very complementary but specific backgrounds and skill sets, and so right. now we're all we're all rowing in the in the lane, and then we all do property management stuff. So we all go out and show properties. We all, you know, we right. all we all deal with evictions. We all deal with even though we have a guy who deals with legal, but we all deal with all aspects of the business. So it's the but in our area, like one of my partners is a CPA, so he obviously deals with um, bookkeeping, accounting, all that kind of stuff. The high-level finance. We have a bookkeeper, but yeah. he deals with taxes and yeah. keeping us straight. And my other partner is a, you know, master builder. Was a Home Depot uh, regional guy for a long time, and he he can build houses from sticks to bricks. And so right now he's on a project that we're flipping, and I'm not worried. While I'm here, I know he's over there taking care of the store, and he knows all things construction, and is a good businessman. And my other partner's background is uh, operations. He was Navy. Mm-hmm. And he's a technical genius, and so he deals with the legal and the operations of the office, and so right. it allows us a certain amount of. Uh, so you got all the hard part done. What's that leave you? 
Oh, I'm the guy who deals with the strategic planning and gotcha, the, okay. all the most of the management stuff and marketing. And I kind of have a very broad background and right. really know most of those things in small parts. So yeah, I try to keep us going in the right direction and, and yeah, that's and uh, my strategic um, direction <clears throat> and vision. When folks have asked me how I can how you know our company can survive with starting with three partners and now we have four, and it it comes down to that. It's like, well, I I don't worry about their stuff and they don't worry about my stuff and. And we trust each other. And you, men- you mentioned something a minute ago. Uh, you, you, they're, they're all good men in your case. Uh, for me, I've got two male partners and one female partner. Um, but they're all good people. Yeah, I've met and them. They are all good people. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, you hear horror stories with partnerships and you hear, you know, massive success stories. And I think it really comes down to, you know, those two things. Are they good people that I would trust with anything else I was going to hand them that I owned that was worth a million dollars for an easy round number? Uh, would I trust him with that? If the answer is no, <laughs> they're probably not people I should trust with this thing that's worth a million dollars. Right, right. And uh, um, and do, do we do we respect each other enough to know? Here's my area. You know, I'll certainly take your input, but this is mine. And there's your area, to, and I'll give you my input, but it's your it's your area. You you take it and run with it, make it the best. Well, and I'll tell you, you have to just like in a family, and it is a family. You have to have the ability to sometimes close the door and have some tough discussions. Yeah. Um, and everybody to be heard. Yeah. Um, and that's not an easy thing with four different personalities. Um, but everybody needs to be heard. Everybody's voice is valuable. Yep. And sometimes you're angry when you come out of there and then you breathe and you go, these are good. You know, we all want the same thing right. for our families. We want the same thing for our business. We're going to be all right. Yeah. You know, and, and really, I'm blessed that you, 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 you people are like, oh, how do you do it? Well, you're really, it's really, I believe great relationships are a blessing. Right. And, uh, and you go and you pray on it a little bit and you come back and you come back together. You watch the tape, if you will. Right. And you, process and prove it you go okay what can we do better what can we take away that wasn't so good yeah um and, and let's now build on all these amazing skill sets that we have we really you know what, what i'm excited about is i see now that we i think we're through a lot of the troubled waters we should be able to 10x our business based on our talent pool sure um, and the talent of each of us as individuals and our collective team um that should be a multiplier that now we begin to see in uh in, in our business flow and profitability nice. What else you got on your on your list of oh nos okay. <laughs> and oh my goodnesses and yeah, what no were you thinking? <laughs> well, <laughs> we we you know looking back because we bought those businesses, I think we neglected the marketing, mm-hmm. um, not in on purpose. I mean, we were when we had bought that second, we were so busy, and we didn't even have time to think about marketing. You don't think about well, what happens if the market shifts? Well, guess what happened over the last three or four years in real estate. The market shifted, right? And people have sold off their properties in droves mm-hmm. because trying to cap out, especially those that were accidental landlords, or just holding on for dear life. An accidental landlord? You mean somebody who inherited the house from grandma and they didn't really want this to begin with, and now they're stuck with it? And or that, or their soldier who got PCS who who got sent somewhere else, right? Um, that then they're stuck with the house. They don't have enough equity, or they couldn't sell at the time when the market when they wanted to, so they kind of had to hold on to it. So there's lots of ways people get to be an accidental landlord, but anywhere where they didn't really plan on being right. an investor. Okay. And so the last three or four years, them and others have just sold off in droves, and our book has shrank significantly. And uh, so now we find ourselves going, oh, we neglected the marketing part of our business because we didn't have to. Right. And now we have to rebuild that and really the systems that support that as a, as a continuous flow. Because I also found out, know your metrics of your business. So in property management, for example, we made some assumptions. You know, when I was at Boeing, we learned ground rules and assumptions, and, and you built your decision matrix. And I did financial analytics based on that stuff. So, we, you know, we said, okay, the average 
uh, vacancy factors four to five percent. So on a book of 500 doors that we had at the time, that's 20 to 25 properties turning every month, and that's what was happening. So we were busy as all get out. Right. Well, when that shrinks to less than one percent, and you've lost 40 percent of your volume, mm -hmm. that's a huge revenue stream that just disappeared. Right. So we've experienced both the loss of the management fees and the loss of the lease up fees. So essentially, we lost probably 50 to 60 percent of our income in the last three or four years. Wow. From those two colliding factors. Yeah. So everybody's sitting back on the outside looking at property management going, well, rents are going up, so they're, they're, they're sitting back, they're fat, dumb, and happy. And meanwhile, you're going, what in the world's going on here? Well, and people aren't moving. So right. either the owners are selling and the tenants aren't moving because they're scared to move because they're going to get their jacked up rent. So right. that collision of things really threw us into a tailspin as well as finishing up dealing with all the other stuff we talked about. So you got to know the metrics. And I thought I knew them, but I knew them organically. And really when I started to dig into it, I found there was specific patterns. So do your industry research, right? Not just in, not just your market research. Do the in industry research. So I started to find the data. So the churn rate that means people uh, that cut off their property management services, so you don't have a customer, mm -hmm. is anywhere from eighteen to twenty-eight percent, not three to five percent like we thought. So, so annually, eighteen to twenty percent of people who have rental properties will decide I'm just going to do this on my own, or they'll sell, or they sell, okay. or they move back in, gotcha. or they. You get terminated. You know, mm -hmm. they don't like the relationship. It happens. Right. Um, so for some reason or another, you no longer are in charge of that property, and that means that loss of revenue. Gotcha. So your marketing has to – so if you want to grow at, say, 10%, you have to have 10 plus minus the churn rate. Right. So that means you have to have the appropriate marketing budget and strategies for the customers you actually want, which right. we'll talk about in a minute, Yeah, yeah. Um, to make sure you can fill and replace or hit your growth targets. And so we didn't really have a good understanding of that, unfortunately. And right. So now we've learned that, and we're you know restructuring and, and so, putting that in place. So there's a couple of things I want to dive into here. First one is you said um, marketing metrics. So um, those seem to be that seems to be an oxymoron to me. Well, metrics, <laughs> and then there's marketing metrics within those metrics. There's there's right. usually multiple. Like for example, you might be looking at how many days. So one metric is how many days does a property stay on the market that's for rent. Mm -hmm. So owners want to know that. How long before I get my money? That's right. the short. That's yeah, the easy yeah, version yeah. of what that says. You know, how many days? If how many tenants are late every month? Because that means that that's owners' money delayed. Right. How many open vendor invoices do we have? So let's say, Promenade and Drain went out. Do we close that ticket or is it open? How many mm -hmm. open tickets do we have? Because that means you have unhappy tenant. Right. Um, how fast do we get everybody paid? Because yeah. um, in property management, it's a you know, it's a little bit of a different cycle. So there's lots of things you start to look at that really give you the health of your business. And so we're just learning. Over these last couple of years, I really just learned what those things are. I didn't know what they were initially. I didn't even know what metrics really were, to be honest. I started learning about it in grad school. And then I started thinking, well, God, we don't have that. And then I started to really study the industry and go, wow, we really should be running our business by these core fundamental things so we didn't have all the data-based research we needed for the industry and how to use that to manage our business and see how really be a, a temperature gauge for how we're doing right um you know how's the customer feel you know one of the other things i learned is go look at the reviews i don't like to do it because property yeah. management it's usually not so usually tenants that are upset about something but I learned you have to, like, is our customer happy with what they're experiencing? Mm -hmm. And it was painful at first to do that because usually when somebody's writing about property management, it's usually when they feel slighted. Right. Um, and so really pay attention to our – and we have two customers, our owners and our tenants because that's right. a reflection on how we're doing sure. 
Yeah. And I suspect most time that that uh, tenants are unhappy is because they feel like something was sprung on them, like something wasn't transparent or made clear in the beginning. Is that is that pretty accurate? Um, it's a variety of things. So let's say they move out. They didn't get their full deposit because they actually did damage. Right. They never feel that the damage was done matches right, the right, money right, we kept. Right. Um, let's say that we have a property where the owner's slow to make decisions about repairs because of the cost. Mm-hmm. The tenant thinks we're neglecting them right. when really we're being beholden to the owner. It's not our money. We can't right. just spend their money. We have if you if your company goes out and says we think it's two fifty, then they start digging into it. All of a sudden it's six hundred. Mm-hmm. The owner's going, why is it six hundred? They don't want to pay. Right. So all of a sudden the next job you're now held hostage because the tenant wants everything fixed. The owner wants as little as possible fixed often. Right. So that's part yeah, that's of the one, one of the things I, I talk about with folks when, when I do any kind of one-on-one coaching with them is it, you start out, pick three to five key metrics, you know, and then you, that'll grow. You'll, you'll get into 10, you'll get into 15, you may get into more. Um, you, you'll, you won't end up with a hundred probably. Um, I hope not anyway, uh, but pick, you know, and if you don't know what they are supposed to be, Go find out. Type in, you know, plumbing industry KPIs or property management KPIs. I mean, there's easy ways to find this information of what what the key performance indicators is, what KPI stands for, it, what those things are supposed to be, and that, and you have benchmarks. And you and and if you don't know what the benchmarks are, then you likely aren't measuring those things. Uh, and now again, we're getting kind of in process improvement speaky <laughs> here. Um, but if you're not measuring things, you can't make improvements. And if you're not making improvements, then you're, you're not going to grow. And uh, that's that's kind of the, the crux of all this stuff is finding out what are the three to five things that I can put my finger on and say, here's where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be at an eight and I'm at a four. Okay, how do I fix that? And, that? and then we're off to the races. So on the marketing piece, you talked about having to overcome the churn rate of 20% and grow by 10%. So you gotta, you gotta, you got to increase your business theoretically by 30% every month, every year, whatever. How did you go about uh, creating a strategy to, to target a 10% growth with a 20% churn rate? Well, we're, we're really just getting into it. You know, we, we're, we're going through a, a, re, a, you know, a really a, a new birth process right. and a rebranding. And in looking at that, one of the things we had to look at is, uh, and it's one of the other mistakes slash learning lessons, excuse me, is uh, not saying yes to everyone. Right. You know, every client or every person that wants us to manage their property is not necessarily a good fit right. for us philosophically. You need to be in alignment philosophically, which means in our case, Mr. Owner, what are your long-term goals? Are you willing to spend appropriate money on maintenance and capital improvements that are required so we have an A to B level property so right. we can get A to B type of tenants? Yep. So if you have a C owner or a D owner, you're going to have a C to D property. Even if the property's great, it ends up being a C to D relationship. It means a D to E tenant, and it, uh, in a, in a, pardon the language, but a guru in our industry calls it the cycle of suck. <laughs> so sucky owners mean sucky tenants means yeah. bad, and it becomes very stressful. So really looking at, hey, who do we want to work with? What's the framework of the ideal client? Right. What's the framework of properties that do and don't make sense? We don't want to be a slumlord, so it, it can be a great property, but if someone's not willing to invest in maintenance, it's going to become poor pretty quickly. So we're no longer interested in that relationship. So the first thing was to identify who our customer avatar or our target customer was um, and what type of properties they own. Then, okay, well, where do they work? Where do they live? What's the, what's the, de- the demographics of that type of person? Um, and what we found as we've been purging is our businesses are f- so much less stressful. Right. And so that we had to do that first. We had to get alignment with our strategic vision, with what direction we're going, who our ideal clients are. And so we're really just swinging in that direction as we enter into the, the third quarter of uh, 2019. We're teaming up with uh, 
um, a, a great um, social media company here, um, Social Power, run by Don Powell, who is going to really help us align, realign our with our branding restructuring, right, and really build our platform on education. So once you de- once you define who your your customer avatar was that you were trying to go find. Mm-hmm. You obviously identified some people you were working for now that, or then, that weren't a good fit. Did you just call up and say, hey, we're done? Or did you say, here's what we need you to become to work with you? How did you approach, how did well, you approach we're, that? We're approaching it carefully um, because, obviously, you just can't strip mine your business in two seconds. Right. So first is really just look at the math, look at the numbers, and look at, hey, who's calling all the time? Who doesn't call all the time? And is, are we neglecting them? There's some there's some internal things you have to do with that. Right. And uh, you know, are we, are we pro- before you can go chasing? I believe to build something that's going to last. Are we providing? What is the real value proposition we want to add to the world? Are we providing that? Right. Uh, let's really take a deep dive and honest. <laughs> very honest. You have to be courageously honest yeah that's why it took a while because at first you're very defensive yeah you you built this thing you're you're guarded it's your baby it's your baby so now you have to go okay my baby's about to drive i still got to make sure they don't hit stuff that's right (laughs) um i got a 16 year old hence the reference yeah um (laughs) (laughs) um so you got to really look at that and so then you got to go god how do i find those customers how am i going to get my messaging and what messaging are we giving them and I believe if you build it, they will come. Right. And so we're sort of in that, we're still in that early phases of doing that. So I'll tell you more, talk to me in a year and I'll tell you exactly what worked and what didn't on that. But uh, I'm really excited about, um, and and it's about relationships. I also look that when you acquire companies like we did, you're buying somebody else's relationship. Right. And I think we neglected to go back and really establish that relationship and we're doing that now and so we're sort of in that we're still in that early phases of doing that so i'll tell you more talk to me in a year and i'll tell you exactly what worked and what didn't on that but uh, i'm really excited about um and and it's about relationships i also look that when you acquire companies like we did you're buying somebody else's relationship right and i think we neglected to go back and really Establish that relationship with them, and we're doing sure. that now. Yeah. So that was a huge. Mi- that was a going backwards. That was a big mistake. Is ju- but we were so busy. But it's all about relationships. This is a right. relationship business, and understanding you know what is it that this owner wants to accomplish in the next five, ten, twenty years? Do they want to build a portfolio, or are they just trying to hang on for a minute? They passing this on as a legacy to children or grandchildren, and really making sure we're a partner with them, right? Um, in that long term vision, and understanding we're very good at a lot of nerdy things mm-hmm. math analytics and things like that and that wasn't something that was being properly delivered to our clients right in our business that really our brain expertise was not being delivered well we were doing o- okay at the the fundamental day-to-day stuff but i'm like what we what i realized we were really missing out on is giving like we got a lot of brain power a lot of skill sets and we weren't doing a good job packaging it up as a value add so i was like what's different about us than anybody else right we all collect rents we all, you know, sent do evictions like everybody in industry. It's what's called homogenous. Everybody, if you make pizzas, yeah. if I go into Domino's and I go into Papa John's, there's an oven, there's cheese, there's dough, there's sauce, there's toppings. I like Chicago style. I like New York style. Right. Who cares? It's pizza. Right. right. And we're going to eat it and we're going to have a good time. Well, property management is no different. You know, you're a, plum, drink, pl- a, a plumbing company. Right. 
what's different about plumbing and drains? I mean, I know what it is because I work with you, but in our industry, I had to re- we had to really look at it and go, God, what do we do different that's going to separate us? So, so the owner's got to make a decision. i got to pick between company A, B, and C, and business owners, this is the rubber meets the road part. Right. Because it's all about service to your customers. Mm-hmm. What am I providing them that they that's going to be any different than get somewhere else? Right. And when you look at it honestly, you start stripping out, you go, God. I better find something. Right. And what's <laughs> so what's interesting is is I've taught a few classes uh, where we talk about this kind of thing. And um, an hour before we get to this conversation, I have the, the people who attend the class write down the top three to five things that people really dislike about working with people in their industry. <laughs> and 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 they don't have and they forget about it five minutes after we do it. But the, 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 so, you know, here's three minutes, write down all the things. And again, for plumbers, it's super easy. They're late. The bid's higher than they say. They don't call when they're supposed to. Um, you know, they, their communication sucks. Um, once they start a project, the price triples. You know, they pad their bills. I mean, it just, it, plumbing has a, a, hor- a horrendous reputation and, and well-earned in many ways. So it's super easy with plumbing. It's hard, you know, so people, I have them begin by saying, what are the things that people really dislike about working with people in your industry? And that's super easy because everybody knows here's what here's what people here's what pisses people off, right? Uh, an hour later, I come back and say, okay, those things you wrote down, what is your comp? How does your company result res- you know solve those problems and re- and um, create a situation where you're not having those conflicts better than your competitors? Okay, go ahead. And that's when the blank stares start. <laughs> it's and I just I just let that discomfort just kind of sit there, and it's like, okay, <laughs> this this is you should be feeling this pain. Now, if you're now if you're the one scribbling that right down, you've got the answers for all this stuff, then you're you're well ahead of everything. If you're that one that's sitting there going, okay, well I know they don't like this. Well, how do you overcome that? Um, well that's just the uh, that's just the industry, you know. It's like, well, okay, so this is how you separate your company from somebody else. This is what d- how you go about differentiating yourself from somebody else. This is how you get them to choose company A over company B. And this is really, wh- like you said, where the rubber meets the road. Well, it comes down to define this. So I'm going to piggyback off what you said because I had that. I, I was writing a paper for when I was getting my MBA. And it was asking those kind of questions about the company you work for or your business. And I, I was like, oh. <laughs> and it, was, it forced me to right. do this deep <laughs> – Six months of solitude, right. most because I was like, I don't know, yeah, I don't know, and I was like, I gotta know, we gotta know, we can't set the vision. That's why this is taking a while, right? We want this built to last. We want it to last because that's one of the things I started looking at. Why are some companies around forty years and others are poof one shot wonders? Right. You start to find common things. Look at Southwest Airlines, for example. Why are they so successful? And they've been six profitable quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. Right. It's their customer service. It's and it's their employee mentality. They have an employee-centered business model, mm-hmm. and they took an industry and they turned it upside down. They were a disruptor, mm-hmm. um, and you know, all of a sudden, hey, I don't need a four-course meal when you know a snack will do. Just get me there cheap right. and fast. Yeah. And so I started looking at all that stuff and going, okay, where are we going to differentiate ourselves? And then you got to get buy-in. Is everybody on board? Right. So that's why this has been a slow process because we already had an existing business. Is everybody on board? Well, when the vision's not clear, they can't be. So I had to keep refining it. And so, and then I had to be comfortable taking on some leadership that I really didn't have initially with this company. And I was, because of the partnership component, we're equals. I'm not the boss of any of my right. partners. So, you know, we real I really had to carefully navigate to figure out, hey, are we all on board with this? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I, 
I I hear conversations all the time with folks saying, I'm I'm only going to work for the right kind of client, or I'm only looking for this kind of customer. I'm looking for my avatar, as you said, and everybody wants the A and B, um, like you were mentioning. Uh, it's rare though to hear the follow-up part of that conversation, which is, and here's what we're doing to make sure we attract them. It's people jump to the, I hear all the time where people jump to the, I'm only looking for these kind of clients. And I won't work for those kind of folks. And I won't work for <laughs> these kind of industries. And I won't do this and that. Okay, well, what do you do to it? What's better about you than Brand X to to attract those? Well, and then they they default to, I'm the best plumber in town. I'm the I know the so industry. Who? I'm the best property manager that's ever walked. I mean. They they don't think about the customer experience and any of this stuff. It's all just ego and bravado and and nonsense. Well, there's a, there's, again, I'm going to geek out again, but th- you know, there's a tool that I fell in love with called the Balance Scorecard. And, and what the Balance Scorecard does is it gives a holistic way to look at your business, mm-hmm. and it's got four components. So the first one is the customer, right? Because everything's driven from the customer. So if your customer component is not good, your your profitability is not going to be good, right? If your customer component is good, your 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 staff's not going to be happy. So that one of the next ones is business processes, and the next one is the learning environment. In other words, are we? This is an innovative world. Right. If you're not innovative, you're going to die. Right. Look at we can go down the movie industry. Netflix put everybody out of the yeah. industry because they didn't innovate. You know, we're down to one bookstore because Amazon put everybody out of the right. the, the book business. Yeah. Um. Y- you know, and so we're moving to this age of high tech. So I said, you know, we're going to be high tech and high touch. We're still going to be a people-based company. Is everybody on board? Now you got to ask the question: Is everybody on board? Right. Because if everybody's not on board, then it's either you got to change all your people, or you got to, or your, or your plan, or your plan is flawed. Right. I like my people. We're family, so everybody's on board. And so, and we've gone through this piece by piece. Now we can go back and go: How are we going to get that customer? Because sometimes it doesn't mean that they got to come in perfect. What we really mean is to define that a little more. Are you open to the concept right. that you have to be a good manager of your property, which means well-maintained? Mm-hmm. What's your budget for that? And we weren't asking that question. What's your budget for repairs and maintenance? Because often what people come out of after workshops and seminars is flawed information mm-hmm. that they think that, oh, it's like 1%. I'm like, yeah, but what if you got a windstorm in Washington, which never happens, and <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of shingles blow off your roof, and now you need a roof repair that's $2,000. Right. And the owner only has five hundred dollars, right. and it's leaking inside the house. Guys, this stuff happens. Yeah. What if all of a sudden, and you're, do you know? What if all of a sudden the septic system blows up, mm-hmm. and it could be eight to thirty thousand dollars? Right. Or you, not that you want that to happen. Right. But stuff happens. It, it backs happen. up. It happens all the time. What if you know you get a tree limb that comes through, you know the the plumbing the 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 the, the some some of the plumbing somewhere outside, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you have a problem where it's backing up inside the house. Right. How do I know all this stuff? Because it's happened. Because it's happened, yeah. What if all of a sudden the water heater goes out in year seven before the 10-year period? Right. And you got tenants that need hot water. Well, that's a health and safety issue. Remember we talked about the laws? Mm-hmm. Mr. Owner, you have to have those reserves. It needs to be – a plan needs to be placed within 24 hours. Within 72 hours, by state law, it needs to be fixed. How much is that? 1500 to $2,000. Well, I want you to shop around 42 different companies. Mr. Owner, no, I'm not shopping around. We work with these companies that we work with mm-hmm. because they're licensed, bonded, Insured and we trust them. We've already right. vetted that relationship, yep. and we know how much it costs to replace the water. Well, I can do it myself. Good luck with that. So right. now we, as a business owner, and this is where one of the mistakes that we made, we bended around that. We became malleable around what it should have been non non uh, inflexible. Right. Okay, Mr. Owner, you got a decision. Either you're going to do it this way, and you or we're out. 
and we were right. navigating with owners six months sometimes, stressing ourselves out over their decisions. What we've learned is that's not our decision. Here's the information, ready to make a decision. If not, we're out. Right. And we're not going to put ourselves in liabous position because you, for whatever reason, which I don't, you know, we don't have time to worry about anymore, aren't willing to make that. So it's those kind of things that before we could go running hard and strong, we had to really do the deep soul searching. What makes us different? So for somebody listening who, who maybe their interest has been peaked on, okay, I like what I'm hearing. I want to go find the A and B customers. I want to make sure we're the kind of company to provide the service to, re- to attract those A and B customers. What's my first step? What's the very first? I mean, what what do I do myself with my partners? What I mean, all the stuff we're talking about is long term, very complex. Mm-hmm. What's my first action item? I can I can go home tonight uh, after I'm done with the day's work and I I have my dinner. I can sit down. I can do this to to get the process started. I think the first question to ask yourself, and we we've, we've covered it. What's the real value proposition that we provide in the service or business that we're in? And is it unique to everybody else, honestly? Right. And then go actually look at your competitors. It's like going for a job resume, job, and you look at all the resumes and go, wow, there's some real competition here. Mm-hmm. How am I going to stand out from these other people? We all have similar education backgrounds. Or what's going to make me stand out? Well, it's the same thing when you're interviewing with your clients. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying they're the best in town. But are you really? And you really got to look honestly. So first you got to look at yourself and go, let's take a look at ourselves from an industry perspective and go, what is it that we do? And do we really do it as well as we think? Right. And then go ask your customers that same question. Yeah. And I think that's with, with having a partnership, I think it's easier than if you're a sole proprietor. You can lie to yourself all day long. When you've got partners and you, and you pencil out some questions and say, are we doing this well? Are we doing this well? I think you're more likely to get honest answers from a partnership because you have folks who I will be defend. If you're asking if we do, like I do the, the accounting <laughs> where I'm at. So if you ask, is our accounting strategies, are they on point? Of course, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but the other two or three, you might be like, eh, well, how do we know that? You know, they might have that, ask that next level question that might uh, expose some of those things. And again, it leads to some hard conversations for sure. And you, and, you might, and you might need to hire a consultant or someone outside yeah. to come in and say, hey, you know, because you're too close. Sometimes you're just too close you're to it. Close. And, you, and so you just got to. It's, it's too personal. It hurts too, personal. it hurts too bad when you're screwing it up. Oh, God, it's so personal. <laughs> so personal. And that's the other thing is you got to learn to forgive yourself, um, which is a kind of, you know, most of us that are, we're pretty hard. I'm pretty hard on myself in general. Yeah. So you just got to learn to have grace with yourself. And, you know, it's an imperfect, we're imperfect beings. And you don't know what you don't know. You, tr- you don't you know, know what you don't know, right? And, and and I heard that on a I heard that on a business show, one time, and I was like, wow, it's so simple, but so dang profound. Right. Uh, I know you got a couple other things you want to get to. What what uh, what else did you have on your on your uh, your list of things here? Well, I, I think that uh, small business to me, and 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 you know, I found out through some research, like ninety nine percent of the businesses in the world. It's like 99.9 are considered small to medium enterprise, mm-hmm. less than 10, most of them micro, less than 10 employees. And that generates like 60, over 60% of the gross you know, revenues across the world. Right. So small business is no small business. Right. Um, there's so much possibility if you're willing to do this stuff, um, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a property manager or whatever. So like pursue your dreams and keep battling. Right. And, uh, you know, these processes are hard. Right. I can't believe how incredibly hard it is to work on process improvement. Like at the 
Like when I say that stuff, everybody runs out of the room. Sure. It's like, all right, well, I want yeah. us to work on, you know, yeah. how we we got to go through the 28 steps on how we set up our marketing. Yeah. Come on, Lyle. Can we talk about insurance or something fun <laughs> like that instead? <laughs> like taxes. Let's do taxes <laughs> Let's instead. Let's talk about taxes Let's instead. Let's talk about taxes. Please. How about those Seahawks? <laughs> you know, so everybody's run out of room and I have to, you know, like, you know, we got to, it's painful. You got to sit down and really get out a piece of paper and you got to grid it out and, and you got to do schematics and maybe that's not your thing. And, right. And then you got to walk away. Then you got to look at it and go, oh, God, I forgot this other 12 things. Right. And what we're doing now is we're literally with everybody in the staff and we're going, okay, let's talk about how we do a, a, a walkthrough and all the things that go with that. Are we doing all that? So this is back to the customer. Are we communicating everything to the owner that we should? Right. What should we be communicating? What do they want to know? And so we're still testing all this stuff. Okay, well, we just put in a new tenant. What do we need to communicate with the owner? Because when it looks at our business, they're like, well, what is, to your point, poor communication is one of the things that comes up where people complain about property management mm -hmm. companies. So we have to look and go, well, I was like, well, what is good communication? And now I got to look at logistically, how do we do it? Right. If your company goes out and does a plumbing job, how do we communicate a plumbing job information back to the owner without too much information? Yeah. But enough so they can know, hey, I feel like those handles don't. And are we doing that every single time? Right. Oh, we do it most of the time. Yeah. Well, those well, three, we, those, well, those three the, people calling to yeah. complain that took up three days is probably the three we didn't do. How yeah. do we know? I, I would argue that if you if you if you say you're doing it most of the time, that means you feel you're doing it most of the time, which means <laughs> you're probably really doing it some of the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's hard to, you know, how do you hold yourself accountable back to those metrics? How do we hold ourselves accountable right. to those kind of things? And it's, like I said, it's talking about it's not a fun – doing this is not fun. It's kind of like football practice. Like somebody said, I love football practice. Like, no, you like the games. Yeah, you like the games, right. You don't like two hours of crawling in the mud and the dirt. Uh, like I hated football practice, to be honest. Right. But uh, you like playing the game, running out the, running out of the thing. and uh, Right. But nobody likes practice, really. Yeah. You like the result of practice. You know, and I'm a grinder type, so I, I, I never miss practice when I played sports. But it's, it's, this isn't fun stuff, so you got to pull up your sleeves. It's work. Right. It's sometimes arguments. Like It's like a husband and wife putting up wallpaper. I saw my parents almost get divorced over that when I was a kid, Tw putting up wallpaper in the bathroom. That was pretty funny. Um, but the good news is, you, you, I mean, you know, I'll use your sports analogy. Tom Brady, who's probably going to go down in history as arguably the, the best quarterback ever in NFL history, was a six-round draft pick out of Michigan. Um I don't know a whole lot of stats, but I know that one. Um, with this practice, with diving into this stuff, you can take your business, which is a six-round draft pick out of Michigan equivalent, and you be can become the best of all time if you do the work. He does the work. He's the guy that does he's the, the work. He's in the study room. He's in the film room. Yeah, he's, 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 he's working on his body. That's why he's playing at 40-something. Yeah. So I kind of took that example. It was like, how do we be the best in, I mean, you know, to our ability, the best in town? How do we become the best in town? How do we become where they come to us instead of we're chasing? Right. And it starts with that honest look. And th and that I think for uh uh you know I will get to a couple things you 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 mentioned. Um that I think is the key to marketing. Um people, I mean you I don't know how many I I would I, I would say in the average week I probably get a dozen emails from people pursuing us to do marketing. We don't do marketing in a traditional sense in my business. We just don't. Um, our marketing is our communication, our, our, our making sure that our processes and procedures are in place. So that our, when we say we communicate with customers, we do it on every single job, every single time. And are things going to fall through the crack? Absolutely, 100%. But we drill those things that are the most important things. We only have so much time to train our employees. We spend that time training and drilling communication, 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 accident prevention, accident prevention, all those things that 
will make us an attractive uh, provider, service provider, that's the stuff we focus on. That is our marketing strategy. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I, get, I suppose that wouldn't work for Amazon as well as it works for us. Um, but one of the things I hear about when I hear about Amazon is they have a fantastic return policy. Uh, they don't. They don't do marketing. Uh, if you look at the, the the people who've done really, really well in their businesses, um, aside from McDonald's, of course, and things like that, um, their marketing is their reputation. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, one of the in doing research, one of the people I found to sort of mentor, help mentor our transition. I asked. She was asked that question on the podcast, and he's like, "What do you do for marketing?" She's like, we don't do marketing. It's right. funny that you said that. And and he was like, well, he was kind of taken aback. What do you mean? And she didn't really get into it. I was able to talk to her one-on-one, and she kind of got into it. But the marketing really comes from excellence. Right. So that really excited me. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have your messaging out there. But at the end of the day, it's when somebody says to their friend, and the name thing comes up, let's say property management, oh, I know some great people who do a great job. Right. So I was like, what is a great job? What would that feel like? Right. To the, you know, and I asked my partners that. I was like, it's your property. Because it, it was a kind of heated day because it was it's tough to go through this stuff. Yeah. It's your property. How would you want to, what would you want to happen? How would you want to feel? Right. And the reason why it's stressful is because doing a lot of those small things, I find, is that it's not, they're easy, very inconvenient things to do and they're hard to do repeatedly. Right. Without good process and systems. So it's because, well, you meant to call the person back, but the phone rang and you had three interruptions. And so, you know, you look up and it's 4.30 and it's time to go home and that thing got forgotten to call that person or send the email or text or whatever and what I call close the communication loop, mm -hmm. which is where people, I know, I started to look at the complaints and it was like, okay, wasn't what we did, it was we didn't close the communication loop well. Right. So I can't change the plumbing job that happened or the roofing problem or whatever, mm -hmm. but we can change how we're communicating it. Right. And that began to simplify it when, when I was able to start weeding through it it begin to simplify it's like oh it's all about communication yeah you can't i can't stop if, you, if you're driving down the road your tire blows out you can't stop that from happening but you can have triple a right so what we represent as a property management company is that line of defense to make sure we're maximizing that asset well what does that look like but it's also very stressful for people if the rents a couple of days later there's an expense that people didn't know about and we didn't tell them until they saw the bill then they're pissed off hard enough they're yeah. upset yeah of course and so i started to look at oh we can't stop this, but we can communicate that. Right. And then they yeah. can give a chance to digest that information and then have a hear some information about that. I kind of like all this stuff. Like, you know, if you go to the doctor and you're like me and you're, you know, he says, hey, you need to lose 50 pounds or whatever. And you well, how do you do that? Well, you got to drink eight, gla eight glasses of water a day. I, I kind of see that that's how communication is. You, that's the fundamental for any business. You have to have the communication part down internally and externally. The next part is you need to go exercise and you need to eat your vegetables and all that kind of stuff that nobody wants to do. <laughs> and that's all the processes and procedures right. and making sure you're doing these things on every single job and you're and you're you're going into these things that again, like you said, is not the fun part, but it is the most important part. If it if you're doing if you're running a business and you're doing it all the things that are fun, the consumer is probably doing the things that's not fun, which makes you not a very attractive provider. If you are taking on the responsibility of doing all the not fun things, you're leaving them the freedom to do the fun things in that relationship, and they are going to gravitate towards you. There, there's no other way it could go. So remember, we talked about those four components. So now that's why that learning part of the organization is so important. So now you've identified this new behavior you have to install mm -hmm. across the organization. Right. How do you do that? How do you measure it? So that's the metrics part. So the, the, the new thing you have to do is the learning part. If, if people don't like change, so they want to kind of do their routine, and, and so sometimes you have to interrupt that. Right. And you have to incentivize them, gamify 
hey, here's why, and sell the value proposition. Everybody's got to be on board, mm-hmm. and you want that experience. This is what Southwest did. You want? I remember my first trip on a Southwest plane. I was pretty young, and I remember the people were singing on the plane, and I was like, the, the, the staff, like, I'd never experienced anything like that. Right. So it was so fun. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? Like, are they okay doing yeah. that? Like, this is weird. You're supposed you know? to smoke that stuff and drive yeah, the plane. Yeah, this is weird. They're singing, <laughs> they're clapping, they're having, they're right. cheering, and I'm like, that was a plane ride? You're right. And so I didn't, that's long for the research, and found out that's a big part of they decided early on we want the employees to have a good time. Right. Instead of just being this road, oh, you are now on, you know, such and such airline. So yeah. I'm like, how do we make the business, the property management in general is not fun. Right. How do you make it fun? How can we make this fun so that this communication that's so important happens and it's not a burden? Right. We have to shift, the, we have to shift our DNA mm-hmm. and make this like, hey, we're, you know, we care about you and we want you. And so, we're, you know, we're working through that. But how do we make it fun? And, and it's not always fun, but... As, as, as stress-free as possible as it can be so we can ultimately achieve the client's objective. Everybody has to be on board because you're only as strong as your weakest link. That's right. And yeah. so uh, it's an interesting journey to go on. And I'm, I'm, as I'm talking about this, actually, it, it gets me excited about where we're going. It is exciting. And, and, listen, and looking to see where are we at. And the way I, it won't be the money that we measure, the metrics. It's really going to be are people online saying great things? Can we do something that's extraordinary? Right. Get people to go online and say great things about a property management company. Yeah. Because when I went and looked, every property management company I know had mostly bad reviews. Right. Because that's where people go when they want to sure. voice themselves. Can we do something extraordinary and do what Steph Curry's doing in basketball? Can we right. disrupt the industry and have people going, oh, my God, you know, the roof was a pain, but I love how they handled it. Right. How do we get to that? Yeah, and, and, and the, the next measurement you'll see is when – People from Texas are calling you instead of you're calling people in Texas, and that yeah, yeah. when that happens, it, it's fantastic. I, I hope you'll consider coming on again. This has been a lot of fun for me. Absolutely. I hope we didn't geek out too much on process improvement geeky, geeky. and Edward Deming and Japanese automotive and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. I know that's probably boring for a lot of folks, but it, I, I I just admire success, and it's a it, that in my mind because I have an analytical brain. This, these are the steps to success is putting stuff together. I so, certainly hope so. And, um, and, and, you know, we've been working long and hard at it. So we're ready to jump through some new, uh, you know, achievements. And uh, hopefully our clients feel feel that. That's really the ultimate goal is to make sure that people are getting a great experience. So. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about your business. Aspen Northwest. Um, I gave the uh, website. I'll give it again. It's AspenNW.com. And the phone number is 253-584-8200. Uh, Aspen Northwest Real Estate and Property Management. Anything else uh, folks should know about you? Well, they've we're, they've we're, got a good flavor for you so far, I we're think. Going through a, we're going, like I said, we're going through some, uh, with this new sort of relived energy, we're, we're, the real estate part of the company will be home field advantage, get the home field advantage. That's nice. kind of where we're going. And uh, the, the property management side will be called Rent Max. I love the name. And, That's awesome. Uh, we're really excited about reestablishing ourselves in the marketplace with our n- really very clear identity, and we're working on color schemes and logos and all nice. that stuff now, and new website, and really just really a whole rebirth. Everybody's excited about it at the company, and uh, you know we've we've taken our lumps to learn um, the hard way, and so I'd encourage everybody stay resilient. Entrepreneurship is not easy, um, and keep your big vision in mind. You know what do you want to leave as a legacy for your family, for your children, grandchildren, all that stuff. And, and when you look back, they won't look at that one or two years of crumb that you went through. They're going to look at your what somebody called it the body of work. Right, right, What's right. What's the body of work? When, you, when, when your last dash is passed, what would you do? Right. How would you live? So we're really working hard to, to, to try to do a good job for our clients and, and create a great environment for our staff and grow and really take care of people and see their, see their portfolios grow so they can create wealth for their families. 
and we kind of call it growing wealth with real estate and, and really leveraging our talents better now that we've kind of, we think we've gone through the muck right. and uh, we know what we're doing. So hopefully uh, when I come back and see you, we'll be uh, smiling with big I success. I can't wait for it. And congratulations on the chasing down your PhD. I can't wait to call you Dr. Lyle Cruz. That's going to be yeah. awesome. Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, thanks, Ian Lyle. I really appreciate being here. I hope you'll come on again. This has been awesome. Uh, join me next week, folks. I'll have Dean Paulson on with uh, um, uh, Floor Trader Outlet of Tacoma. He's going to talk about his flooring business. And uh, great, that's all for great, today. Great guy also. Yeah, he's a super, super fun guy to talk to as well. Uh, I'm really excited about that. So that'll be next week. And uh, thanks again, Lyle, for coming on. Thanks and we'll talk to you all later. Have a great day. <laughs>